0: head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just
1: wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth
0: for you, and then let it go.
2: For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing, that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming. We turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered.
0: Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together visionaries, scientists, healers, artists, and seekers. I'm so grateful that I get to interview these extraordinary thought leaders and share their wisdom with you, and I love listening to the conversations that are led by my co-host and dear friend, Cleo Wade. Cleo is a beautiful poet and author. I deeply admire her and the way she keeps her heart open to the world. Together, we believe that engaging in open-minded, honest, and sometimes difficult conversations has the power to change our lives. All right, over to Cleo.
2: Raquel Willis is the author of a stunning debut memoir called The Risk It Takes to Bloom. Raquel is an activist and media strategist whose work focuses on Black transgender liberation. She has held many prominent roles, including executive editor of Out Magazine and co-founder of Transgender Week of Visibility and Action. Today, we talked about what it's like to write from the vulnerable place to expose the parts of us that we have worked so long to protect. Raquel shares intimate stories from her childhood growing up in the South, and the grace that she worked to have for her younger self and parents throughout her journey. We also talked about the moment Raquel's path into activism became clear. She shared her advice for those who are afraid of saying the wrong thing, and how we all have a role to play on our collective path towards liberation. Okay, let's cut to my conversation with Raquel Willis. Happy pub day yesterday. Thank you. How are you feeling?
1: It's weird. I honestly, it's like one of those things where you're like, what does it feel like when your dreams come true? And I, I feel like I was born and then next thing I knew I was walking in front of a crowd with Laverne Cox asking me deep questions about my life and signing books and people waiting in line for that.
2: Weird. It's meant to be. This book is so beautifully expressed. And what I loved about it so much is, you know, I know you and I really feel like I know you now. And so I'm excited for this journey. The people who already admired your work are going to have, and the this book I there were so many people I wanted to give it to because for me being from Louisiana reading it I was like wow this is such a deep expression of of, of life in the South and black familyhood in the South and all the ways in which it you know it's so specific how we grow in and break the mold of those family units because mm-hmm. there's so much ritual. And there's so much tradition because the ritual and tradition is how, you know, black Southern America survived for so long. And to be changing that in your family by living authentically and freely as who you're meant to be. I was just so inspired by the evolution and all of the details, like your mom playing the flute, like just like made me giggle, like, because you just feel it. Like you feel this kind of I don't know, you, you, you feel that there was an invitation into your family and that you were almost at the table and everybody loved you at the table and was going to be honest in front of you. And mm-hmm. that's what reading the the beginning of your book felt like. And so I want to thank you for that because it just really made me smile as a, as a girl from Louisiana, especially. Thank you. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's very southern but I mean I don't know how to tell any other story you know it's it's as part of my identity as anything else
2: I want to and and one other thing I want to say because I felt this a lot when I wrote my first book is that Mm -hmm. and you're going to experience experience this on such a deeper level and I'm so excited and I hope you spiritually prepare for it because so many people are going to walk up to you and be like I know you yeah. And they're going to be like, they're going to think that they truly like know the everything about you in your life because you were so detailed in such a beautiful way. And it was such an offering. Yeah. I mean, it. I felt like I brought people
1: in and of course, in the later drafts, that became more necessary because I was guarded, very guarded in the first mm-hmm. draft. So and then getting a new therapist help child and the halfway really? point of the process. Yes. yes.
2: Yeah. Because tell me, because, you know, there's this part of the book where you're talking about the ways in which in moments of life, specifically to the speech, when you gave your kind of, I would say one of your first sparks of, of the world seeing you in that, in that women's March speech. But when the sound was cut, the, you were saying that this way that you kind of like bottled the ways in which that didn't rub you the right way, or you felt disrespected and how it was hard because that felt so natural to me. I was like, we all have that where we're like, damn, we just put a hard shell around the place where somebody poked our softest self and how you were saying in the book that in the first process of writing this, it's almost like you had that hard shell that you had to kind of crack to get to it. And the book is such a soft read. It's so tender. And so Mm -hmm. what was the process of you being able to be like, okay, I've got to take this like armor that protects me in the world or helps me cope so that I could provide a book that was the most vulnerable possible read?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of it was chipping away at this idea that I needed to tell a story in as pristine or as pure away as possible. You know, I I think after a kind of witnessing amazing powerful black trans women like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock, you know, who really went through the gauntlet in terms mm-hmm. of the early trans visibility era. So they were getting those very intrusive prurient questions about their bodies and their lives and I witnessed that, of course, and absorbed some of that. And so I think there was a feeling of like, I have to be as articulate in a way. So there's no room for anything to be con- misconstrued as messy or, or too or nuanced. The,
2: or the rest of your humanity, because we are this like yeah. jumble of like, contradictions and like randomness and like, uh, you know, one song we like is like so off from like the everything else we like, like, and that's what personality is. And I think that sometimes we don't allow ourselves the aliveness of personality when we are kind of at work to say like, listen, I am centering this part of who I am because Mm -hmm. this part of who I am is unsafe. And I am like forging the way to create community and safety, not just for this massive part of who I am but for everyone else who that is such a huge part of their experience and I think it was really interesting like we were just saying it's like yes that is centered and then also like everything between like the boxer shorts colors you wore or the southernness, or the like what the pet names your parents had and it was beautiful it was and, and what I found was so cool is it was such a incredible harmony to be able to constantly center like what we needed to know to continue to push forward in being an ally and, and, and lover of your life, while yeah. also painting the picture of this really full human experience that we all like feel in different ways too, You know, which is just yeah. that like even if we want to center this one thing, we're not just one thing. And how we can connect is by having all of the little odds and ends of who we are present to. If that makes sense. right yeah i i definitely think it's about
1: looking at ourselves holistically that that was the a part of the dream with the risk it takes to bloom but also i think it's about folks just being curious about the boxes that maybe they're still in that they don't realize they're still in and how we can kind of shatter expectations across the board so it's not just for me as a trans person as a black person as a woman to mm-hmm. interrogate these restrictions around us it's for mm-hmm.
2: everyone and it that is so felt as you as you read it
0: let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation.
2: What was the point when you felt like you were ready to tell this story?
1: It's interesting because when I graduated from the University of Georgia back in 2013, like two months before Laverne starred in Orange is the New Black. And of course, the, the verdict came down in the George Zimmerman trial. Yeah. We work right in the middle of kind of a shifting landscape of public and social discussion around communities on the margins. Yeah. And so at that time, there weren't many narratives about Black trans folks. So it did feel important to embark on writing a story of my coming into my identity, because I mean, this was also like maybe about nine months before Janet released the groundbreaking redefining realness and so Mm. much more. But I I think as I got into the hustle and bustle of course of work and trying to find a career being stealth, of course, in my first job as a news reporter in small town, Georgia, things were just kind of moving. And I was like, actually, I want to be present in my life and Mm -hmm. figure out who I'm going to be on the other side of these kind of difficult points in the early part of my career. So it really started to coalesce in this version in 2020. I was laid off from out magazine along with so many of our crew and I had a lot of time on my hands, honey. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I really was interested not only in that journey of my womanhood, but also the journey in my commitment to collective liberation.
2: Could you, for anyone who's going to be learning about your story in this podcast for the first time, could you talk to us a little bit about not only your childhood, but where activism became a central role that kind of brought you, because I feel that there was this kind of really significant point where, and I feel activism almost like landed like a star in your heart. And it was like, oh, it's making the path more and more and more clear. So could you talk to us about what your childhood was like? And then the point in which, you know, you have this turn towards how is my life going to be this thing that changes so many people's lives because it has.
1: Yeah. Well, there are a few different points that I, I like to nod to, I mean, definitely growing up in the South in Augusta, Georgia, feeling isolated from other folks who were at that point. I mean, all I knew was that I was different. You know, Mm. I had no language around queer this or trans that or even gender nonconforming. But I knew I was being bullied because I was some kind of different and I was being Mm. called gay and all these things. So I think those early experiences of feeling othered in my community and with my peers really played a role. But I will say, I mean, with my parents being devout
2: Catholics. Yeah, I was going to say the Catholicism was. Yes. The added layer for me, where I was like, <laughs> Catholicism. Cause like, even like in the Baptist church, I was like, it was it's a little, it can be different to me yeah. because I feel like I was like, damn. Hey,
1: like, what's going on here? Like, you really Ooh. just God just threw everything and was like, mm-hmm. Oh, make it happen, <laughs> make it happen. But yeah, so that was happening. But of course, what I will say of the beautiful things I glean from Catholicism and my parents was this idea of stewardship and yeah. doing whatever you could to make the next person's life easier. And my parents were really wanted all three of us. So I have two older siblings. My brother is nine years older. My sister's 12 years older. Don't ask me about the gap, honey. but <laughs> <it's> there, <laughs> And they really wanted us to understand our privileges, even yeah. as you know, black folks in the South, we were middle-class, you know, we yeah. had, educational privilege. There was never a thought that we wouldn't go to college and continue on and have certain careers and and all of that. So that was there. But I, I think even beyond that, beyond the seeds of LGBTQ student activism at the University of Georgia, I really was pulled into this activism space after the death of a young trans girl to suicide. So mm-hmm. Leila Alcorn in 2014, when she wrote a suicide letter that she set to publish on Tumblr after the act was committed, I read that letter. I was completely devastated by it. And in it, she puts a call to action for all the adults to fix society, please. And I took that personally. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, shoot, I'm one of the adults and especially one of the trans adults yeah. who is not out in my professional career and I work in journalism and media what are we doing here and so that was a complete kind of reorienting of the type of work that I
2: wanted to do and so what was your first next step in that in in that moment when you t- when you're talking about this in your book but i think there's certain moments and You you watch people collectively have it in our lifetime. People had it with the Black Lives Matter movement. There were some people that were just never the same person again after Trayvon Martin. There were some people Mm -hmm. that were never the same person again after Donald Trump got elected. Like, you know, you see these things where there are things that almost spiritually and molecularly shift you. Was the next day like so I did something the next day or was it like I did something different the next day or was it, I was a different person the next day. So nothing I could do was the same.
1: I think it was the former. I don't think I was a different person necessarily the Mm. next day. I think I just acted because of what was Mm. in my heart. And that action immediately was propping up some books, propping up my little laptop and posting a video to YouTube of me essentially sharing how I felt about what was going on, making a vow to do whatever I could to try and make things better for other trans folks, especially young trans people. And through that video, lo and behold, a BBC producer saw it and yeah. was like, Hey, will you be on this show and be interviewed? It was called world happier say. And I was like, sure. And then my sister was like, okay, so are you coming out at work? Because you know what that means. And I right. was like, do I have to? But I did. And and luckily in that workplace that I was in, this is my second workplace now, now in Atlanta, they were affirming. They thought it was a beautiful thing. And I just kept doing that, you know, not necessarily speaking up in that way, but I started going to rallies in the Atlanta community, being more involved in local efforts, particularly around the police profiling of black Mm -hmm. and brown trans women. So it wasn't that I necessarily transformed overnight, but I think this kind of idea like you said that kind of spark of purpose yeah started to shine brighter and Mm -hmm. i put myself on the path to transform in the ways that i needed to be to be a better storyteller to deepen my empathy especially for my community and on and on
2: and you i think took learning And being in community more and more and more with the, with the, with the people you wanted to serve so seriously, which I think is lost on people. Sometimes I think it was really um, generous of you to share the ways in which it was not just like, because I think that sometimes people are like, oh, then someone just like touched by God and then they can like, just go up and do it. And, And I think for you, so much of the detailing of this book is really all these ways in which you are saying like, no, this is like, I am not trying to be like a wizard behind the curtain in Oz, which I really appreciated.
1: Yeah, I think that that's true. I mean, there's a lot that I had to interrogate in writing this book around kind of the pedestal that people put folks who emerge as activists on, you know, and folks who speak truth to power. I mean, you know this, right? That's kind of idea that we... Always have the right thing to say, always are able to articulate the moment or have pure politics. That's
2: impossible. Yeah. You or know, like we're always okay because we're standing there being okay. Standing there being okay, often just looking okay,
1: mm-hmm. or or often, you know, the soothing for a lot of us, especially women of color, is to be in the midst of the action, right? So that we don't have to wallow. Yeah, I think that's something I've also witnessed a lot for us too.
2: What I wondered about is I, one, uh, there's one scene in the book where I felt so transported, which is when you're coming out to your dad
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the stark difference between coming out to your dad versus your mom. And I wondered, you know, I had that kind of moment where as my friend, I was like, oh, are you okay sharing this? It's so vulnerable. And I, and I don't mean in a shameful way of anyone involved, you know, because it's just real and it is what it is. But I just wish that I knew you then and could have run over to your house and hugged you and been with you. And I wondered what it was it like to relive some of the moments that were, you know, with your mom is it was so kind of beautiful and, and also seems so like exact to the personality that you portray of her throughout the entire book. But were there ever when you were writing that, and and I know that you wrote this book with therapists and switching the therapists, but was it hard to kind of relive or feel exposed in that or not even just that? I mean, there's a lot of very intimate moments of the book, but that especially, I just, I wondered what it was like for you to write it. It was, I mean, it was
1: grueling for sure. Yeah. It was definitely a challenge. Just remembering who I was at a young age and and i think mostly because i really had to articulate how i moved to a place of grace for myself mm. as a at that time being 15 years old and i wouldn't even say i was hot headed because i was in the right
2: yeah
1: but i definitely had a sense of conviction that was so strong that i'm like Well, shoot, if a 15 year old was talking to me like this so resolutely, (laughs) I might feel away as an adult because we have these assumptions that we have so many more solutions or so much deeper of an analysis of what's going on. But of course, I think in remembering that, I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, I don't, (laughs) you know, so hopefully I can remember how I felt at that point as a young person and how I moved through the world with my nibblings and younger folks and community. Mm. But I think on the other side, it it was challenging because I had to reconsider the grace I had to give my parents who were products of an environment that really gave them no tools to understand a queer or trans kid, right? All they knew was that they were supposed to protect and raise, this kid, this baby that they had. And without the script for that, people moved from a place of fear. And some of the not so great aspects of our insecurities can play out. And I think that that was what was happening with my parents when I came out to my dad. But I will say, I think what's so beautiful now, of course, I mean, unfortunately, my father passed when I was 19 and so there wasn't really much room for evolution. There were some that happened along the way. But with my mom, I mean, now my mom is like the big ally mm-hmm. on the block. She's yeah. on the the board of PFLAG. You know, she's mm-hmm. at these different events with me, including the Women's March, which you yeah. alluded to earlier. But there's also like generations of parents of queer and trans youth now that are out here from PFLAG. To others, like the ones I was with at Trans Prom at the Capitol and and a group of amazing trans youth put that together and said, hey, we want to have this space. I'm thinking about Marlon Wayans and Wayne and Gabby Wade Union and these folks who have young people in their lives that they are really listening to and trying to be an example for other parents, especially in the black community to listen
2: to queer and trans youth. I so felt that in in your mom being this kind of main character in the story too, throughout, just like, just really makes you smile. And I think for your book, your mom's character made me buy the book for my mom Mm -hmm. and which I really appreciated it in, in the ways in which you wrote about it, not just because I do think obviously your work is timeless, but so often for memoirs, I think people feel them as a generational thing when you're young and writing a memoir and your mom, I just kept thinking like, wow, her mom, the ways in which your mom is woven through. I immediately ordered it for my mom. Cause I just, I loved the <laughs> dynamic and I knew my mom, how much my mom would like it. I want to ask, you know, I know you, did you, you had your first book event last night? Basically last night at the strand in the rare books room oh in
1: conversation God. with Laverne Cox. Amazing. It, I mean, it was packed in there. I mean, there were people from so many different parts of my life, college. One of my advisors from the LGBTQ student oh resource God. center was there for my university folks from movements. And then my mom and my sister were there and I have another event tomorrow that my brother is going to be here for Is that the one in Brooklyn? Yeah. Yes. That one will be at the Brooklyn museum. So
2: with who's that with Elliot page with Elliot page, the one and only star studded lineup. (laughs) Is there anything you've experienced so far from writing this book? Because I can't stress to all the people that I, I need every single person listening to this podcast to read this book, the incredible details of it's so incredibly detailed. Was there anything that was kind of you were feeling like a little naked in the room, like having been with people who have held held the book or after they read it, and you were kind of like, oh. <laughs> oh. did you have that feeling at all? Or were there certain details or certain, you know, even if they were just kind of like, you know, your mom plays the flute, or you're like, you know, or you're this, or you're telling the story of, you know, the first time you felt attracted to someone, and, you know, I mean, I know that so much of your career and activism. Started with a with just you putting yourself in public and it going viral and then turning into such an incredible sensation. And are you used to it? Are you used to feeling you know, for lack of a better word, famous like in 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 such an intimate, real, and personal way?
1: No, I'm not. I'm I'm still struggling with this idea of. I guess fame and celebrity, like, I can't even yeah. say it. I guess fame and celebrity. You are a famous celebrity. I hate to
2: break it to you. <laughs>
1: it It's a lot of things. It's weird because I'm coming from two disciplines where that isn't the goal, right? Mm-hmm. So journalism, of course, you know, you're what we're not supposed to be the story, right? So to turn that on its head throughout my career has been a bit of a dance. And then I think similarly in social justice spaces, I'm very aware that we often have these leaders, which we dub charismatic leaders, right? Right. But there are ways that folks like me, I guess, soak up the air, you know, from other folks. So it's always been important to me to elevate the folks who got me here. And so Mm -hmm. I think about my Atlanta queer and trans community. I think mm-hmm. about my dear sister friend Tony Michelle Williams from a chapter where she essentially throws my saviorism like right there in my face, and it's like, "Girl, you got to figure out this shit so we can move forward, and mm-hmm. and you can be a better organizer." So that's a thing I'm thinking about. The folks I worked with at Trans Law Center on the and the, on the Brooklyn Liberation March. I mean, it's a community affair. And I don't take that lightly. And so that's so important. So the fame, the celebrity, the visibility piece is weird to me. I mean, to say the least.
2: I think you move through it with a lot of grace, especially because you're, I feel from knowing you personally, that it always feels to me that you say, if this is what it takes to be in, in the greatest possible service, then like. I'll hold it and I'll handle it and I'll just keep going. And and so I think that that's a really beautiful and important headspace to be in, especially in the kind of activist world where kind of fame happens or these things happen and people really do, you know, get, you know, caught up in like, I'm a celebrity because I'm special. <laughs> and you're mm-hmm. like, the world calls you that. Like, but you don't call yourself that. So if the world's going to do that, like, how do I turn this into... A tool and allow it to be a tool for my movement. And, I, and, and I've always felt that you're so incredibly grounded in that. And it's, I and try such a to be,
1: example. I try to be, I try to show up for our community, you know, when folks are making strides in art, when other yeah. folks are making strides yeah. in literature, like Gina Rosero and Skylar Baylar and Elliot Page, you know, there's been so many amazing books by powerful trans folks that come out this year. And luckily I've been a part of a bit and piece of each of their journeys. So that's been exciting too.
2: How have you stayed close to yourself and kind of given yourself care in this process? Do you have things mm-hmm. you kind of do so that you can reground yourself and, 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 And kind of put yourself in a position where you're the loudest voice in your head is yourself.
1: Well, I'm definitely a car napper. So I love, look, I love napping on the way to an event. It's the best Oh my God. That is the funniest thing I've ever heard. So that is a thing for me. I love a good massage whenever I can get it. And that's amazing for me. I love CrossFit. So Mm. going to CrossFit, I get to walk back and forth, gives me a chance to clear my head, but also getting, becoming a regular in CrossFit really primed me for the, I guess, the stamina and endurance necessary to finish a book length work because so much of it is about the practice and the push, right. And going a little bit past your limits each time, but not so much that you lose all of your steam altogether. And so that has been kind of a parallel track for me.
2: Yeah. What are some ways you think that people who, I guess I have two questions. What what can people who know nothing about the trans movement beyond reading your book, which I really believe everyone should do, what are some other resources for people to, learn about this movement? And then what are some resources for them to get involved in the movement?
1: Yeah, well, I would say um, definitely read the work of trans folks. I mean, I'm always seeing the praises of Janet Mock and her groundbreaking, earth-shattering memoirs, Redefining Realness and Surpassing Certainty. Mm -hmm. We're in a time now where we're getting other narratives as well. So Gina Rosero's Horse Barbie gives you the ins and outs of a Filipina trans pageant queen turned (laughs) supermodel turned global advocate for human rights. So love that. Skylar Bailar, who I, I mentioned before, is a young trans. I call him a political educator. That's how he uses his platform. But he has a book called He, She, They that really gets into the nitty gritty of follow them. Yeah, of the one on one trans questions and beyond that folks need to know in this political moment. So I think those are some great books. There are some great docs out. I mean, Disclosure is kind of landmark for us. Paris is Burning is, you know, one of the seminal ones back in the day. But Disclosure really kind of builds on that and inserts a historical cultural analysis of trans folks in the media and then there's also two documentaries that came out this year one is the stroll and one is Kokomo city and they give very different takes on the experience of sex work particularly of trans women of color so those are some kind of key resources In terms of getting involved, I mean, first of all, I think folks need to be paying attention to the legislation that is moving. We know that there are over 600 pieces of anti-LGBTQ pieces of legislation that were introduced this year in 2023, which is a high, you know, in, in terms of recorded U.S. history on this type of legislation. So be paying attention wherever you are to the legislation that's moving Largely in Southern and Midwestern states, let's be clear about that, but of of course and beyond. But I would also say, I'm such a fan of folks who get in and like volunteer with local trans led organizations, wherever you are, I can guarantee that you have a trans-led organization near you. Some good lists include really a lot of the lists that funds put out. So thinking about the Borealis Philanthropy Fund for Trans Generations, they often have an accessible list of the orgs they they fund. And then there's also the Trans Justice Funding Project, which does a list of all of their grantees past and present on their website.
2: Something I really loved about everything you recommended just now is um, you know, sometimes when you ask people that question, they say like, find out more info on da 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 dot com <laughs> about like when you when I say learn about the people and you went straight to personal autobiographical narrative storytelling of life. And I really think that is to bring it down to the, you know, the day-to-dayness becoming human, connective stories are, are the, are, is the best way to get to know anything or join any movement or understand anyone. And so I really appreciate that. It wasn't just, oftentimes I feel like people will give like a clinical, like learn about da, 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 at da, 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 da.com. Do you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, now you're making me feel like I need to just kind of compile all of this into something. So I think I'm going to do that. That's yes. right. But the landscape changes. I mean, you know, I worked with our dear friend, Mutual Phil Picardi. We mm-hmm. were working with the crew on a list of trans led efforts to support and different resources in 2020. But so much has shifted even since so much. Then. Yeah. So yeah. folks have to be diligent and, in, in, you know, being, you know, receptive to the moments and the changes that are happening politically.
2: I think as people are learning and are learning and new language along with new ideas, what mm-hmm. would you say to the people who are afraid to be involved, speak up, you know, do anything because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing? What would you say to people who are, you know, want to, want to come in, in the fold and are trying to figure out how?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think following multiple trans folks, you know, if, it is, if we're talking about specifically trans work and liberation and and thoughts in this moment, I think it's about following multiple trans folks, right? We're not a monolith. So even for me, you know, listening to this podcast is not enough, honey. Right. I'm not out here giving you your social justice cookie. Okay, <laughs> we still in the kitchen, we still baking. But I'm just one person, so I, I think it's important for folks to to have a variety of voices that they're listening to. I would love for them to be ones that I agree with, but I also know, you know, that's not always the case. Which is why we have more voices rather than few. And I, I think to your point, especially like around language, people will be like, "Oh, well, I have this friend that like it's fine being called this," or. Being that. And it's like, well, you just ca- had this caveat that it was this friend. So Let you it, kind it. of have an idea that you that only it's... know that one person. Yeah. And what works for them may not work for everyone else. Yeah. So that's important to be able to kind of understand for any group on the margins. But I also think just being humble, like, it's fine to not know shit. Like, yeah. it's sexy when somebody is like, I don't know shit and is curious about knowing shit. Because then it's like, okay, you'll be honest with me. You'll be vulnerable about maybe those things that you might feel are a failure and be willing to transform to be better on the other side because you know it's the right thing.
2: Yes, I would agree that nothing is sexier than someone's desire for transformation and openness. Mm Mm-hmm. I know that I hate saying, saying this question to fellow authors, because a book is like a baby you put out into the world. And so you're like, I just had this baby. Why are you asking me what I want to do next or what I'm up to next? (laughs) So you're on tour now for the next few weeks, but what is, you know, are you going to take a breather for the holidays and just kind of like settle in this? or Are you ready to kind of like, is it energizing you to like tackle something, but another big thing? Wow. Well, I'll say this the work moves on and
1: continues. This is just one thing I'm I'm giving myself to this moment to be present because that's been a part of my journey and the work that I need to do. Yeah. So I will have the holidays and then I'll have a second leg of the tour in starting in January. So Amazing. we'll have a whole nother slate of dates. Amazing. So people will be hearing more about Bloom, including in LA. So Amazing. LA I will be there. Tuned. So that's happening, but I'm also excited to be working with iHeartMedia on two podcasts. One is called Afterlives, which is about the experiences of trans folks we've lost too soon to violence. Mm -hmm. And we just dropped the first episode. So this season is about a young Afro-Latina who died in Rikers custody in 2019, Leilene Polanco. And so we are taking a different approach at true crime. We are really making sure that We are covering all our bases and aren't doing kind of the sensationalist thing, right? Like we wanted to make sure that we get the richness of her life. And then, of course, we talk about her demise, but we also talk about her legacy and the micro movements in New York that she inspired from halting solitary confinement to continuing the closing of Rikers campaign to supporting folks who want to decriminalize sex work and ending cash bail and on mm-hmm. and on. I mean, Leilene's reach was wide because mm-hmm. her story touched on so many systems of oppression at once. So I'm so proud of that podcast. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one called Queer Chronicles, which will drop in early 2024, following the lives of young trans teens in red states. So we wow. we're we're doing a lot over here. That's out, gonna be Oakland. very
2: interesting
1: in an election year. It is. And it just kind of fell that way. Everything is just kind of aligning perfectly.
2: Wow. Well, I am I'm so I'm so grateful for your time. I'm so grateful to know you. I'm so grateful that you you wrote this this book. It's so it's just moving and it's also just well done. It's beautifully written and it's beautiful and there's joy and there's pain and there's learning and it really captured, you really captured life in such an incredible way. So thank you so much for writing it. Thank you so much for being here. I love you so much. I can't wait to see this book in hands on the subway and people reading in a coffee shop. I know it's going to change a lot of lives. So thank you.
1: Thank you. And congrats to you on a phenomenal tour. Oh
2: my God. And
1: a phenomenal release as well. I know it's not easy. I mean, doing oh, I'm gonna tour. be talking
2: to you in two weeks and oh. you're gonna and then i then you'll really see. <laughs> And and at the end of this leg of the tour, you're going to call me or you're going to come over and I'm going to be like, okay, yes, I'm going to sit you down on my couch so you can stare at the ceiling for the next three hours. And I'm just going to just like feed you like chamomile tea to calm down your nervous system. And then we'll regroup. Okay. I'm down. All right. I love you so much. Thank you.
1: I love you. Thank you.
2: Thank you for tuning in. today's conversation with Raquel Willis. Her book, The Risk It Takes to Bloom, is out now, and I couldn't recommend it more. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.